Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Ah, welcome. Uh, you're listening to uh, Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Thanks to the Ruminations crew for highlighting issues around rooming houses and homelessness. Hi, my name's Bill. For the next hour, my guest will be sharing his journey of recovery from compulsive gambling, compulsive overeating and compulsive sex and love addiction. I'd like to welcome Terry to this 3CR studio this afternoon. Hi, Terry. Hi, Bill. How are you? Good, thanks. Um, Terry, as a member of Gamblers Anonymous, Overeaters Anonymous and Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, he'll share his experience of how those 12-step fellowships have helped him to recover. Uh, Terry, we usually start by talking about you know, growing up and how, how you felt and what your family was like and, and things that when you sort of realise that you're a little bit different to other people. Yeah, well, um, well, I remember being five years old. I was growing up in a good family. They, they were foster parents. And um, about five years old was when I first had the thought of compulsion. Yep. I was at a party um, for was my mate's fifth birthday and they're all playing pass to pass or having fun and all that. And I'm sitting there um, scoffing down those little sausage things at the, at the food table. So <laughs> I knew something was wrong then. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so, um, so what was it like at school then? Were you, were you big? I was a big kid at school. Um, I was always having lunch orders. And uh, I remember in grade two being pulled out with a few other big kids to do exercises while the other kids were playing games and we were doing like um, touch toes and stuff like that. And so I would have been seven years old. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So so they identified you as as having a problem then. Yeah. Do you think? Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. saw me as a fat kid that needed to do a lot more exercise than others. So yeah. Right. So did you keep on to exercising? Uh, no, not really. Through school, we did the normal sports, you know, at school. Um, yeah. I remember getting a blue, uh, yeah, a blue ribbon in grade six for actually completing the course. <laughs> yeah. So that was a nice little yeah, kick for me. Yeah, good. Um, so feeling like an outsider, so what did that mean at school? A bit of a soul guy by myself, Um yeah, got bullied a bit. Got bullied a bit at school. Yeah. Um, I really only had one good friend uh, that that I hung with, and he was in the same sort of boat. So yeah, yeah, that's pretty usual, isn't it, for people to band together in that circumstance? Um, so did you did you try and make yourself more likable? I yeah, we used to have like yo-yo season and marble season and kite season at school and. I used to tell all the kids that my dad worked at whatever factory it was for that season. So my dad had a lot of jobs <laughs> and he kept changing them. So, yeah. yeah. Right, okay. People pleasing. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it, it's something that you learn, you know, if you want to influence people, then there's there, there's ways and means to do that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, so what was family life like? Uh, it was good. We had a lot of foster kids coming in and out of the house. Um, my older... The the closest out of the four kids was my sister, who was five years older than me. So I was always like the little 
I was too too young to be with them, sort of thing. If yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. It wasn't it wasn't bad, but I used to have a lot of time on my own. If you know what I mean. I, okay. I remember being like ten year old, twelve year old, and they used to have a dollar travel card on the railways, and I used to sit for a dollar all day and just ride the trains by myself. Wow. Yeah. At that age, uh, yeah, my mum thought I was down the road at a mate's place, but wow, <laughs> I was going all over Epping and everywhere. Yeah, wow, incredible. So, um, so did it change when you got out of primary school? Yeah, I still got picked on um, in year seven and eight. Um, I was actually beaten up a lot. I went to a tech school, yeah, and I was beaten up. I, was, I remember coming home from school, getting beat up from the kids from the other school. So, okay, yeah, yeah, just. Being the fat kid with the glasses, yeah. um, everyone just fought, yeah, target. Yeah. So. yeah. It's like you've got a what a, a target on your back, isn't it? It's, yeah. You're so visible to people. It's just yeah, scary. Um, so what did you do in response to that? Well, I'd had enough and I, I, I walked into a boxing gym. My brother was doing boxing and I asked if I could come and he told me I couldn't, so I just turned up. <laughs> <laughs> As you did. Should have seen his face when I walked in the door. <laughs> so what happened then? What was the? Uh, then I, I became really compulsive with the boxing, okay. and I yeah. learnt to fight. And then, uh, obviously, these guys that were picking on me, well, each day I was getting better and better. And I went on to win a Victorian title three years later. But um, yeah, as I was gaining confidence, uh, I also was getting the compulsion to to just keep training and keep training and to be the best. And then I saw these kids come home with trophies from the boxing fights, <laughs> yeah. and I wanted one. Yep. So, yeah, no, it just, it just became a real overwhelming compulsion. Yeah. So did you become very fit? Oh, super fit, yeah. yeah. But even then, uh, when I was really fit, I still saw myself as the fat kid with glasses. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you obviously had to box without glasses. Was that a problem? It was, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, I'm short-sighted. Yeah. And um, I actually have double vision. Right. So that would have been very difficult. Well, well it was actually to my favour because they because I had one turned in eye. Yeah, they couldn't see where I was looking. Ah, oh, okay, right. <laughs> so they're getting hit before they knew. So. Oh dear, right. Yeah, well, I guess the good thing is looking back, you can see the the funny side of stuff that you couldn't see at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. right. Um, so, uh, what? How did how did it pan out next? What what sort of things were you doing around that time? You know, did your did you get more friendships as part of the boxing, or was yeah. that yeah? Yeah, we had a lot of guys from the boxing that became friends. Um, I was also wagging a lot of school though, and going into the um, like the time zones where they used to have all the pinball machines, Space Invaders, Pac Man, all those, and I was spending a lot of money on those uh, until I was get to the point where I could spend a little bit of money and spend the whole day there. Wow. I was getting that good. Yeah. And that's just compulsive, compulsive, compulsive. Yep. So, yeah. So do you think that led you to gambling? For sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, when it, it turns... Is it the same reward? Do you think winning those games is as as the gambling rewards? Is the financial? I think it's the same in your brain somehow. I think you just feel like, you know, a winner. Yep. Yeah. And when I turned 16, I actually pulled my first poker machine. Uh, the handle, yep. and I, I know I'm doing the gesture to you, yeah. but no one can see it. <laughs> but it was like a one, two, 
ka-ching yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. And I will never forget that. That was like the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. Well, it was the worst actually, but it felt yeah. like it the best It felt thing. like the best, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I can remember the first time I went to the pokies as well and it was that funny thing where you felt you had control because you had control of the lever yeah um but yeah i didn't get addicted obviously yeah um so how did you because you're only 16 at that point so how did you get into a venue i was a i was pretty big 16 year old yeah um i was like six foot one um pretty solid from the boxing so i I passed for 18 easy yeah Yeah, so Um, back then, you didn't have to have ID or anything like that. Right. You just had to sign your name. Yep. So how did you get money to, to, ga- to gamble? Um, I used to sell pies at the footy. used to sell um, papers at the corner, um, any odd jobs, ice creams at uh, Moomba. Okay. All yep. after school and that. So, yep. yeah. Okay. Plenty of supply. Yep. Plenty <laughs> of supply. Plus, uh, I think my brother might have lost a few coins. Oh, floor. right. Okay, yeah. We hope he's not listening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so how did the gambling progress then? If you're uh, only 16, it must have been difficult to get to pokey venues at that stage in Victoria. Yeah, so we'd go up every uh, long weekend. Okay. We'd go up there, me and the mates, and we'd just have a pokey weekend and most of them drunk. So yeah. I'd, yeah. I never drunk, so they yeah. were always drinking and poking and yeah. where I was eating and poking. Poking, yeah, yeah so... <laughs> uh, It'd be it'd be finished pretty early if I'd lost. The the long weekend would be finished yeah. pretty early. So, right. Yeah. Okay. So did you keep up your boxing? I uh, kept it up till uh yeah, probably nineteen eighty five. Yeah. And then I had a had a loss and at that time I was actually starting to see a woman. Uh, well, she was a girl. Yeah. And I was <laughs> I was only a boy. But um yeah, and that the the passion I had for the boxing sort of went because I I had this woman instead of being punched in the nose every night at boxing yeah I could be with this young lady and yeah and spend some time with her so, yeah. yeah yeah I think most people who find that are more attractive options <laughs> my nose is still straight though yeah that's good <laughs> oh, dear. um so you if you stop boxing obviously if you're training you yep. had a regime of Pretty heavy um, training, yep. eating, e- exercising. Um, so when you stop, things must have got a bit, been yep. a bit different. I'd have to say, Bill, the thing, thing that kept me on track was that I was home with my mum. Oh, okay. And she did my cooking. All right. Yep. And made sure I ate what I was supposed to eat. Yep. So once I stopped all that and I was out and about, I just picked up everything. I was just, you know, um, partying, um, eating I remember having my first pizza that I bought myself because my brother used to always come home with pizzas and that. I always wanted that Hawaiian pizza I could eat on my own. Yep. <laughs> and I bought it from Brainia Pizza and then ate it in the bus stop. And even to this day at 50 years old, to have a pizza in the bus stop is awesome. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so um, uh, I guess the other one, other thing I guess is that you've got a bit more time. If you're not... Training, yeah, not there's, working. There's a, yeah, not working. You've got a lot of time. So how did how did you fill your your hours? Fill my hours when I wasn't working. Yeah, mainly um, with women. Yeah, food, um, gambling. When I could get up to Albury, um, I was having a few drinks back then, but I, I was never an alcoholic. Um, 
yeah, it was just too much time. You know, they say the idle hands is the devil's playground. Yeah. Just get myself into trouble. And um, as a result, uh, one of the young ladies I was hanging out with got pregnant. So I was a young father. Yeah. So, yeah. That's a change of life. Big change. And, um, you know, I, I went out and got myself a job. Um, so I could support the family and, um, yeah, went went and joined the railways. Okay. Yeah, which is good. There no addicts in the railways. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so did you get married? Didn't get married, but yeah. we moved in together. Yeah. We moved in together very young. She was, she was only 17. I was 18, 19. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I was working at the station and I went to work one day and came home and there was a nice little rug for me to sleep on and that was all that was left in the house. Goodness. Yeah, mm. so um, she'd done a, done a runner and I didn't know where my baby was and um, all I wanted to do was find where he was. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, moved back home with my parents. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, so how long did it take you to re-establish connection with your son? Uh, pretty much the next week, um, okay. she she contacted me, told me where she was, and yeah, I was then on visitation with my son. Right, and then um, sometime around that time, he got taken off her, and um, my mum was a foster mother for fifty years, and um, by accident he ended up in her care. Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. and that's where I was living, so yeah. that was just a blowout. Yeah. yeah. So, when you say a blowout, why why was it a blowout? Because he had to come in as mum being the carer, yep. but he saw his dad there all the time, and you know um, had to watch his dad walk out to work and not take him, and you know I had to ask permission to actually take him to the park and stuff like that. So right, okay, yeah, yeah. So um, how old was he at this point? Uh, he would have been two and a half. Okay, two yeah. and a half. So I must yeah. have been nearly twenty. Yeah. Okay. Hard times. Mm. Mm. Um, and so, what was it like living back at home as a as a effectively a parent and a grown up? Yeah, I had my dad had just retired, so um, it was it was a little bit hard because you had two roosters in the house. Yeah, uh, it was dad's house and yeah. demanded the respect he deserved, and I was a very immature nineteen twenty year old um, doing shift work, coming home at all hours where Dad had worked hard all his life and really deserved the retirement and the peace and quiet. So, yeah, it was a bit standoffish. A couple of times I saw smoke coming out of his ears. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) At least you you realised that. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. That's half the problem, I think. Yeah. Um, So what happened with the gambling then? Did that obviously... It obviously progressed... So you're you're now sort of twenty-ish. Yep. So what's gambling like? At the at the time, um, I was into my career, but every single time we had off, we were up in Albury. My wife, well, she was my girlfriend at the time, but my future wife and I, yep. and her parents. So every long weekend, we were just up in Albury, blowing everything we'd earned anyway. So wow, um, you know, living at home, making a lot of money between us. We had lots of money, so yeah. yeah. Mm. So. Um, so she obviously had a problem gambling as well. She she did, yes. Yeah. I won't say she still has, but she has. Yeah, okay. 
Right. <laughs> okay. Um, so, did you get married? Yes, we got married. Um, she she got pregnant. Um, I get pretty good at that, but yeah. she got pregnant, and uh, I decided to ask her dad if she could marry me, which he said yes. And then I asked her, and she said yes. And uh, we got we had a shotgun wedding, like we had it all arranged within three three months. So she got married pregnant, and uh, we lost that baby in the October of that year. We got married in August and got, lost the baby in October. So wow. it was actually grand final day. So. Right. That must have been pretty devastating for both of you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I still think it is like um, I still go down to the um, cemetery, put flowers every anniversary. Yeah. And I'm sure she does turn up there too. I don't speak to her, but I'm sure she does too. Okay. You're listening to Living Free on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Podcasts of 3CR Living Free shows are available on their website, uh, 3cr.org.au forward slash living free, and also on iTunes. Uh, Other 3CR podcasts are also available. Uh, If you have a question or a comment about the show, then you can call the station on 9419 8377 or send us an email at 3crlivingfree at Uh, I'm talking to Terry, and we're talking about gambling addiction, overeating addiction, and sex and love addicts. Um, so, Terry, we were talking about um, the fact that you got married um, when you were about 19, and do you want to...? Yeah, I was actually 22. Oh, sorry, 22. 22 sorry, yeah. yeah. My wife was 19. Yeah. Um, yeah, we got married. That We, we had the, the baby was stillborn, and... Um, yeah, we went through a lot of grief there. Um, I went through a lot of counselling. My wife didn't do any counselling. We we were pregnant again the following year, um, and we had a baby in 1991 who was uh, seven weeks premature. So, again, I thought I was going to lose yeah. another baby. Um, but he was all right. He spent seven weeks in hospital, and now he's 26, and he's... All fine. Fine. He's got yeah. a child of his own. So. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's <laughs> good. Good news story. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, how did your career go then? You've got got into work and yeah, I was flat know. out trying to trying to get up the ranks, and I, I actually became compulsive at that as well. I just studied, studied, studied. Wanted to be the best. Had to be the the, the highest I could get. Yeah. And um, yeah, around nineteen ninety four. 93, 94, um, some idiots had robbed one of the stations I was at and they were idiots I went to school with. And, um, yeah, I ended up in a lot of trouble with the police. Um, they accused me of being part of that. So, uh, yeah, I lost my job in 96 after the final court ca- case. So, right. Which sent everything haywire. Yeah. We just, yeah... My wife and I were paying off our mortgage and um, then all of a sudden I've taken the, the railways to court and um, she told me to we couldn't risk the house yep. and we walked away from a court case that I think, I, I think, I can't say I would have, yep. I would have won. Yep. And um, then I was staying at home while she was out working. Okay, yeah. looking after the kids. I was looking after the kids. Yeah. And then um, one day, I was actually Anzac Day, she came home and 
said that she doesn't love me anymore and she said that I'll be raising the kids on my own. <laughs> which it was a bit of a shock, I'm sure. It was a shock and I, I always expected to be the visiting parent. Yes. Always expected to yeah. be. Um, I knew that the, the marriage should have ended. It shouldn't have even started, but, um, yeah, to be the, the sole parent and to have a mortgage and, you know, I was only 28, 29, so it was, my kids were five, three and one. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, we went into the normal maintenance, not being paid and house not being paid and losing the house and everything was just spiralling out of control, so... And you were still gambling at this point? Oh, gambling out of control. Yeah. Out of control. Uh, when your life's not in control, you do everything out of control. So. Yeah. Or well, I do. Yeah. I do. I won't say we do. But, yeah. But your uh, wife was also gambling, so if she was paying maintenance, it must have been a struggle for her as well. Yeah, she wasn't. She she ended up paying maintenance for a while and then she stopped it. So, yeah. 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 Okay. So what did you do? How did you support yourself? Um, I went up to the single parents' pension which is a big drop from the money I was earning on the railway. Um, and that I think that too was another um, thing that made me gamble harder, trying to trying to get some sort of recognition for myself and pride back in myself, <laughs> you know. Um, I was doing stuff that I shouldn't have been doing. I was leaving kids by themselves at home and going out and gambling when they shouldn't be. Uh, I've left them in cars and um, give them a pie and a drink and go and gamble. So a lot of, a lot of abuse was there too, a lot of abuse. And it, 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 There was one time where I actually came home from gambling and um, community services were sitting with my kids, waiting for me. Yep. I actually had an appointment with her. Yeah, And you'd forgotten? I'd forgotten, yeah. yeah. And that's how bad my compulsion was because yep. that's all that my head thought of was going there. And... Um, my oldest son, you know, he's still today. He's twenty six now. Still is affected by what I did to him, leaving him in charge with of the kids and stuff like that at that age. Yeah. So I can't change that. I can only apologise for it. You yeah. know. So. Okay. Um, so, what did did the DHS take your kids off you or? No, they put me on strict program, and I had to report in. They had to come into the house whenever they wanted. Um, I was probably very lucky that my mum was in the system as a foster mother, yeah. um, which helped me a long way. Um, but, yeah, they watched me for a long time and uh, I proved myself, proved myself, and that's when I came to Gambles Anonymous and found people like myself <laughs> who uh, had done stuff like I'd done yeah. that were getting help and they were getting time off. And uh, I was amazed getting five days off gambling. At that stage, I couldn't go a day. Yeah. You know, even though I told myself I was never going to do it again, I couldn't go one day without it. Yep. So, so always the pokies or? Mainly the pokies. Um, went to the uh, to ca- casino a few times, um, but um, the pokies were mainly, you know, because most of the time it was just down the road, you can go and play it. I remember when Joan Kerner first announced the pokies coming to Victoria yep. and I was working in a signal box in Brunswick. And I'd done this big uh, high, like a big punch in the air, sort of like fantastic, best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. It was the worst. Yeah. It was the worst. Yeah. Yeah. It's tragic, isn't it, how we look back and can see things happening that, you know, and yeah. realise the impact much later. Yeah. 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 Um, 
So how, how did you enjoy Gamblers Anonymous then? What was the, what sort of what what did you feel going there? Uh, my first my first real meeting where I went there to get help because I did go there before when I was married, but I was only there to just shut the wife up. Yeah. Um, but when I did go there to get help, I felt like I was amongst people who understood me, um, amongst people that cared, um, and that's in all fellowships that I've been to. They that the people will generally care for you and generally know your story and do not judge at all. Do not judge. I'll go back to when I first went to Gambles Anonymous, and this is what I want to let people know. I first went there and didn't listen to anything when I was still with my wife. By my second meeting, I'd lost my wife, my job, my car, everything. I'd yeah. lost everything. Yeah. So if I'd listened to the first meeting, I might still have all that. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. And it's about that thing about, Listening is part of the listening thing is wanting to change. Correct. That if you yeah. don't want to change, you don't have to listen. But if you want to change, yeah, the opportunity's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so a lot of um, members of Anonymous Fellow, 12 Step Fellowships, when they get into a fellowship, the fellowship becomes all consuming as well. Did that happen to you too? Were yeah. You, yeah. I, a junkie? I, yeah. I became a meetings junkie, yeah. yeah. And um, I went three and a half years and done really well without betting and for a guy who couldn't go a day that was like amazing yeah, yeah. it was like winning yeah. something yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. so how did that affect your family because part of um gambling well particularly pokies is you're away from your family lots of time yeah and then you get into gamblers anonymous and you're away from your family lots of time going to meetings <laughs> so yeah and that's why i started up a day meeting because uh, my kids were at school by then and I well, selfishly started up a day meeting so I could go during the day. Yep. And I also knew there'd be shift workers and, you know, women in the same position as me with children that would would want a day meeting and a lot of people couldn't get out from their husband at night as yeah. well. So yep. Yep. Um so you lasted three and a half years, so what was the thing that pushed you out? I was into a new relationship and we we're having a lot of problems. A lot of problems and a um, lot of anger and stuff in the home and yeah I just gave up on myself yeah. and just went out and started playing I was running meetings and the, the meetings were getting smaller um, obviously maybe my attitude my yeah. anger I don't know but um, yeah the meetings were getting smaller and then I just threw it in yeah okay. and that was 11 years I didn't go back for wow that's a long time isn't it yeah yeah, yeah and a lot of money yeah. Wasted. Yeah. So bankruptcy, stuff like that. Okay. So how how long did it take you to go bankrupt after you started gam- uh, gambling the next time, that time? I went bankrupt that year. Okay. Right. And I come out of bankruptcy in 2006. So, yeah. Right. And still, I was still, most of my whole days was, was just gambling and um, I was... Um, like I said, eating out of control, uh, comfort eating at the same time, you know, um, just not doing the right thing with anything. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, so it wasn't until you got back into GA that you found the other fellowships? No, actually, not? I found the other fellowships back in that time. Oh, okay. I found um, SLA, S-L-A-A, um, and a, a member at GA told me about it. And I went a while after, and um, I walked into the 
into the slar rooms and a guy that I knew very well from GA said, you're in the right place. Yeah. <laughs> sort of a big smile on his face. But I didn't really get slar for a while there until I had about three years off slar as well where I was working with a sponsor, working the 12 steps and uh, believing that I, I, um, I was powerless over my addictions. Yeah. And that's the thing. I had to have all three addictions as one, like I'm powerless over them all because otherwise one blows out while I'm working on the other. Yep. So I had to take it all as they're all emotional illnesses. So, yeah. 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 Um, so I guess, so what does that mean then for relationships then? I'm going to say with, with gambling, you can stop gambling. Yep. But with... SLAA and overeaters, yep. you can't stop doing those things. So, what is what does it mean to be in in Overeaters Anonymous? Yep. And you've obviously got to stop something. But yep. what what do you stop? Well, I've got to work out what my trigger foods are in Overeaters, and work out because you you have to have a normal three meals a day as a person to live. Yeah. So I had to work out what my trigger foods were, what my obsessive stuff was, and that stop that and that means that I'm, I'm um, abstinent and same with the SLAA I had to work out what I was doing wrong in relationships what was obsessive and what's normal and there's actually we've got a pamphlet in SLAA that actually has dating normally like normal yeah. dating yeah. and it's very very helpful um, if you go onto to the website very helpful with what's normal what's not what's you know and it's amazing how many um Women and men do have this problem and don't know it. And the good thing I like is to the men's meeting because I can just go there and talk to men and there's yep. women meeting there where women can just go and be with women yep. and they don't have to feel like the men are looking at them or the men are doing this or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I really like the, the same-sex meetings. Yeah. So do you want to talk a bit about what it's like to be a love addict? What, what does that mean in, in your actions? Okay, my, I can only speak for myself. Yeah. And um, my actions were I'd meet a lady and just go overboard. We'd you know, go out for dinner and pull the chair out for her, open the door for her and just be the perfect gentleman and, you know, flowers and everything like that. And that'll last about four weeks. <laughs> then it was like, okay, yeah, uh, you've got this, you've got that. Oh, I don't like this. You know, I'd be picking at her. And then I'd be walking away and all of a sudden she's been spoilt for four weeks and, you know, wants that again. Yeah. Um, and most of the people I do aim at are addicts. or okay. um, yeah. Or codependent. Uh, codependent yeah. or something like that. They need they need to be rescued. Yep. So <laughs> same, same with me. I need to be rescued. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, I've been, become very good at that and that's where I've got to go to Slayer and realise that if I'm going to have a normal relationship, this is right, this is wrong, and it's been very helpful for me there. So yeah. I had a time where I actually got engaged again because I was working the program at a sponsor to relay everything to, and he it was strict. He told me straight up if I was doing the wrong thing. Yeah. And one of the steps there is to admit when you're wrong, probably a minute, number 10. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so it sounds to me like it's all or nothing, so it's, it's sort of an on-off thing that you're either intensely in love or you just don't care that's Correct. the yeah Correct. and that's all about control isn't it it's it is a lot of control yeah. yeah and i think also a lot of the stuff too where i got there was a couple of relationships where i got left you know 
both of them big time and I'm protecting myself a lot too. Yeah. It's like I put the wall up and think, oh, this is getting too too hot and I'm going to get hurt. Yeah. And as you hit 50, yeah. it's getting hurt hurts more. Yeah. So. Okay. You're listening to Living Free on 3CR Digital Radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Um, I'm talking with Terry and we're talking about addictions, multiple addictions, so gambling, um, overeating and sex and love addiction. And um, I guess, Terry, one of the interesting things is to sort of know that what are the similarities or differences between the three programs. So do you want to just sort of give us a, a quick canned view of, say, start with gambling yep. So and then look at the other two? Well, well the 12 steps in um, Gambler's Anonymous SLA or um, Overeaters Anonymous just has one difference, and that's in step one, and it's that I'm powerless over whatever. Um, I actually gave up smoking using the 12 steps 16 yeah. years ago. So that's the only real difference there. But walking into Gambler's Anonymous and wanting to recover day at a time, the feeling that I get with the people that, that are around me, they understand me. It's easy to, to, to connect with them and I don't have to worry about gambling one day at a time. And if I try to go too many, time, too many days ahead, I'm going to stuff up because I start to get anxiety and stuff like that. So just keeping it in that one day, and God is mentioned, but, you know, a lot of people get scared off with that, with that but it doesn't worry me because God can be anything, you know, to anyone. So powerless over gambling, powerless over food, powerless over love addiction, powerless over alcohol, whatever it is, the, the next 11 steps are just a character change. You're just becoming a different person, and that's what you need to do to stay stopped. Um, in the food addiction, what it does for me is that I can actually plan each day now, plan what I eat, and stick to that plan. And if I'm struggling, I've got someone to ring there. I've got other people that understand what I'm going through, and um, they can talk me through, say, an urge to have chips or whatever, uh, so it passes, this will pass. And... Again, with SLA, it keeps me on track with being able to... And SLA is a sex and love addiction. And, you know, it keeps me on track with a normal relationship, normal way to think about women, to not have to um, worry about if I'm getting too involved with someone or whatever. I can just keep myself flat without having to worry and stress about it. So, yeah, I think think they're all good fellowships for me. Right. Okay. Um in um, Overeaters Anonymous, you talked about having a food plan and yep. sticking to it. So what, what does that mean for you? Uh, like to, tomorrow, for tomorrow, I'll write out my food plan after this interview when I get home. Yep. And I'll write my breakfast, what it's going to be. I'll write my lunch, what it's going to be, and my dinner, what it's going to be. And I might send that to my sponsor. So I've got him to keep me in check. Yeah. Um, if there's any extras, I'll put down the extras. Like, say, I did pick up uh, an apple yep. when I haven't got an apple written down. Yep. But then the following day I might put that apple in right. to my food yep. plan because I must have been hungry or, I, you know, I, I must have wanted it for some reason. But it's keeping it a normal. It's not a diet club. It's not for dieting. It's not yo-yo dieting like I've done all my life uh, where you've got to go out and do 
shakes and do this and yeah. that. It's normal food, normal eating. Someone who goes to work can just go and say, all right, I'm having this at lunchtime, I'm having this at dinner and this for breakfast, and they can just stick to it. It's very simple. Right. They're, they're, they're simple programs for complicated, complicated people. people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all of them, all three. Yeah. Uh, um, so does it um, – it obviously changes your weight because yep. you're not binging on stuff. So where did you start? What was your – I was 206 kilos. Whoa. Yeah, and um, I, I got from 95 kilos when my wife left to 206 kilos in a matter of five or six years. Wow. Yeah. So, um, yeah, 206 kilos. Uh, I don't mind people knowing my weight at the moment. I'm 143. Yep. So I've come down a fair bit. Yep. Uh, I want to get down to 95 again. I don't yeah. think I'll see that. But um, a comfortable weight for me would be 110. But I don't need to diet because every time I diet, it goes so well. Yeah. And then when you get off the diet, you're back up again. Yeah. Um, with this, you're eating normal food. You're not having to, you know, weigh this and and go into that and you know, um, yeah, shakes, whatever. Yeah. You know, so this is just normal food. You can prepare a, 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 a say a steak and some veggies yourself and just do it. And all the other people in the group are doing that, and they're all just normal people from all walks of life. You know, so. Sharing experience, yeah. That's it, sharing yeah. experience and, yeah. and really generally caring. They do, they all generally care. I haven't met a nicer bunch of people anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> It's really good, yeah. Um, so if you're, you know, you're, you're controlling, you're not controlling it, you're just trying to keep it from getting out of control, is that the... Yeah, I don't need to control it. I need to just um, keep to it. And make sure that I don't go out of control where I might. Uh, if I if I miss my meal plan, well then I haven't got a plan. If a pilot's going to America, yeah. he has a plan. Yeah. If I if he doesn't have the plan, he's going to go off course. Yeah. And I'm the same. If I don't have a plan, I'm going to go off course because I'm going to see those dim sims and think, "Geez, I'm hungry." Yeah. And Maybe just grab them. Yeah. yeah. But if I've got a plan, I can say, "Geez, I'm hungry. I'm going to have that salad roll." Yeah. You know. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so what's it like in Gamblers Anonymous then? So the support from the members, how, how does it, it – does it work any differently? Uh, it's, it's black and white. It's, you don't gamble for anything. Right. Yeah, it's straight up. You don't yeah. gamble. You don't buy raffle tickets. You don't um, play pokies. You don't play keno. You don't play tatsalo. You do that and you, and you're doing well. You do that for, 12, uh, for 24 hours yeah. and you've got one day off, yeah. off you know. Um, and they're very supportive because all walks of life again that have played horses, that have played lotto, that have just done bingo, that are, you know, and they're all in the room together. And you will relate to someone who's going through the same as you're going through. Yeah. And no one, I, I think once or twice I've come through re- with re- religious people. Yeah. You know, most people are just normal Joes who do or don't believe in um, the church. And that's okay because the God's only just a word. Yeah, yeah. It's a spiritual concept, isn't it? It's yeah. not. There's nothing, nothing more than that. And it's and the spiritual concept to me is about it. It energizes me to do something about me. Yeah. It's it's not it's not something outside. It's something inside. So it gives me enough energy to get off my ass and do something. Yep. Instead of just sitting on my bum and not doing anything about the problems that I've got. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Um. So. 
the other one is SLAA. So do you have a – is sponsorship uh, – obviously sponsorship in OA is a is a more contact because of the, the food the yep. food plan thing. So is that the same in SLAA? Do you talk about as regularly with the sponsor? Yeah, you, you speak with the sponsor, but with SLAA you've got uh, seven questions that your sponsor sends you one day at a time. Yep. And you answer them, and that's how you work out what your bottom line behaviour is or your bad behaviour is. And then from there you do another 30 questions, right, where in that 30 days you won't act out. You can't act out or you go back to the start. So that gives you 37 days of sobriety already. Yeah. And then you work with your sponsor on step one, two, three, and go like that. So it's it's not hard. You just... The first seven questions is just working out what you're doing that's not normal, you know. Like uh, normal people have relationships, normal people meet people, normal people go on dates, you know. But we've got to work out what we're doing not normal. And if it's if I'm running from every person that I date after three four weeks, that's not normal. Yeah, that's not normal at all. Yeah. yeah. So it, it, a lot of it's about honesty. So being honest with yourself and being honest with others. So do you find that easier today to acknowledge your behaviour? I do. And most people I meet know that I'm in all three fellowships. Yeah. And it's amazing how much respect I get. You'd think they look down on you, but they actually say good on you. You know, if if I had cancer, right, and I was struggling with that illness, people would go, oh, good on him. You know, he's going through it. He's strong, whatever. Yeah. I've got cancer of... I've got an illness that needs um, that needs medication, and my medication are meetings. Yeah. And I need to get a SLA meeting. I need to get to a OA meeting and a gambles and omelets meeting once a week to keep myself sane. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, so, what's the sort of thing that you'd say to people who, you know, people who are like you, mm-hmm. who um, are doing stuff they don't particularly want to do and don't really understand why they're doing it? Yeah. Yep. What what would you say to them? Uh, maybe have a look on the websites or the or give someone a call at one of the fellowships, and just talk to someone and see if it's for you. I know in Overeaters Anonymous, they um, they actually say come to six meetings be- before you decide if it's for you, and just check it out. Um, check out Gambles Anonymous or if you whatever you relate to. They're all the websites. If you Google them, they're all there. Yeah. So and I think you've got some numbers for them at the end as well. If yeah. you want to call them, yeah, so. we have. Um, the other one was what about um, family and friends, people who know gamblers or know sex addicts or know uh, overeaters? Yep. Is there are there fellowships for them? Uh yeah, there is. The, there was a fellowship for gamblers and I'm called Gammonon, but I think that's just closed. But I know for. SLAA and OA, there is a uh, family and friends connection, like okay. Al-Anon um, is for alcoholics. Okay. But um, I'm sure through through the radio station they could find out where they are or on websites or whatever. Yeah. But I think it's, it also helps for the partner or, or the kids or the parents of the addict to find out what why they're like that and to know why they're like that. Yeah, I, yeah. I think that's the other thing is is respecting the fact that somebody has an illness, you know. And if we if we talk about gambling as a you know a mental a mental affliction, mm-hmm. um, and the same for 
sex and love addicts and the same for overeating, that it's, it's an imbalance. So you've got an imbalance, so you think differently, but that doesn't mean that you're a different person. It just means that some of your actions are not appropriate sometimes. Yeah. And yeah. respecting that those people have enough problems without someone you know, shunning them, scorning them, whatever, allows them to be part of society again instead of having to keep on hiding. Because yeah. I think one of the things about the addictions is, is the denial, I don't have a problem, nothing to see here, until you get into recovery and then you want people to know about it so that you can, it stops being this hidden problem. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the best thing I ever did was tell my, my mum. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so talking about your family then, so you're, you've, st- you've still in contact with your kids, obviously. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So how do they feel? Have they got problems because of your, beha- your past behaviours or are they um, reasonable? My, my daughter has lived with me since she was one and she's now 22. So she does have problems from my addictions. Um, only a few few weeks ago she said to me that, because I said, why aren't you dating any guys? And she said, oh, well, they're all like you. And that killed me. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, I... And I said to her um, straight up, there's guys marrying women every day, so they're not all like me. There's plenty of real real guys doing the right thing yep. by their woman. Um, and that's when I realised she needs to get some help for what I've put her through for 22 years. Yep. My 26-year-old son, very angry. Um, I put him through a lot. I always made him, being the eldest, in charge of the other two. Um, he's... A good worker, he's same with me, he, he, he does get compulsive and um, he drinks a fair bit too. So that, that's up to him. I don't know how much he drinks. That's his own problem. That's what he chooses to do. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I know I affected him. I know that I really, when I was in the addiction, wasn't there for him as I should have been. But I can't change that. I can only change the future. One day at a time. I can't. I've done my apologies. I've told him where I was at, and I think my son now that he's got his own son is trying to make relationships with me again, yeah. uh, and starting to realise what I went through as a parent because he's yeah. now a parent. <laughs> um, so hopefully we get closer. Yeah. We get closer. Uh, my middle child, he just he just keeps to himself. He's a, he's like a quiet person. Uh, my daughter still lives with me, so yeah, she, she, we'll deal with everything one day at a time with her. Yeah, so. right. <laughs> okay. Well, um, that's probably enough from us. So, um, if you'd like to contact uh, any of the fellowships, uh, Gamblers Anonymous can be contacted on o three nine six nine six six one o eight or at gaustralia.org.au. Uh, overeaters uh, online at oa.org.au and Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous go online at slaa.org.au. So that's all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Terry for coming into the 3CR studio this afternoon and sharing his experience and recovery in the three in three 12-step fellowships, Gamblers Anonymous, Overeaters Anonymous and Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. Thank you, Terry. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Uh, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about living with a family disease of alcoholism. I'll be joined by Sue and Sam, two members of Alanon family groups. Thanks for listening to Living Free program. (laughs) 